0: Usually when you hear someone advocate for the use of torture, their argument comes down to a contention that it works when other methods fail. Reams have been written to dispute that notion, but more than that, the question of its efficacy ignores a larger policy question. How does the use of torture impact a nation's credibility on the world stage? Hello and welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School Cast. I'm your host, Matt Cadwalader, and today we're joined by HKS lecturer Doug Johnson, director of the Kennedy School's Carr Center for Human Rights Policy, who formerly served as director of the Center for Victims of Torture. This semester he's co-teaching a course called Torture and Public Policy that examines the employment of torture as a policy matter. Professor Johnson, thanks for joining us.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: So, can you explain what caused you to design this course?
1: Well. Um There's two things. Uh, While I served as the director of the Center for Victims of Torture, uh, we provided care for over 23,000 survivors. And the uh, experience of false confession was so common um, that the notion that we would use uh, torture to actually get information ran contrary to all of our experience uh, as a clinical practice uh, and a global uh, and a, a global organization that uh, we had to really question the wisdom uh, of this approach. Uh, I also met Alberto Mora, who was the uh, counsel, the Chief counsel of the Navy uh, during the first part of the Bush administration. And uh, Mr. Mora struggled against the policy of uh, of the official use of of cruelty uh, arguing in part that cruelty allowed became torture easily but he and the entire uniformed body of jags within the military fought against this policy uh, because they believed it was highly counterproductive as well as uh, being a stain on the honor of the military and of of the country and their belief that it would have uh, implications for military operations. Uh, But they were ignored by the administration. Um, And uh, as it happened, Alberto came to Harvard as an advanced leadership fellow, and uh, and we found each other again, and we decided that we needed to do some work together. Um, And out of that came a decision to develop a project that we somewhat clumsily call uh, the costs and consequences to the U.S. of the legal decision to use torture as a weapon against terrorism. Now, Not I an need easy initialism. No, I need something much shorter, and I'm, I would welcome anyone's suggestions <laughs> on that, but that's essentially what we're looking at. Mm. Our question really was, when you say torture worked, we want to know worked for what? so the framing of the discussion that we see on uh on television all the time is that it worked to get intelligence that interrupted uh, either terrorist networks or more explicitly it's often claimed that it interrupted uh specific terrorist activities and therefore saved lives
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, now we're not exploring that uh, but we think it's a very dubious claim But the Senate Intelligence Committee just spent six years exploring that with um, high-level access to secret documents that none of the rest of us will be able to do. And so uh, I think it's important to read their comments because they really cast in doubt that whole proposition. But we're asking a different question than that, and that is were there other unintended consequences to the United States um, and if so, what were they? And if, if you will, can we step from essentially a tactical decision into a strategic discussion mm-hmm. about the implications to the United States? And uh, again, we're pursuing this much because of uh, Alberto Mora's interaction within the Defense Department and as the supervisor of the CSIS and, and, and so forth. That, uh, that he'd found when he was in the Defense Department. That first of all, on the military level, um, the Joint Chiefs of Staff concluded that the uh, number one cause, uh, number one and two causes of deaths of military personnel were respectively Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo. In other words, uh, we handed a strategic recruitment tool to terrorists uh, by uh, becoming a torture state. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that was so insulting um, to the world that uh, we did as Donald Rumsfeld once uh, uh, questioned, we created a situation where we were creating more terrorists than we could kill uh, because of the potency of this. But Mm -hmm. the second operational impact was that People's fear of torture being very high, and, and again, I would say from my experience with uh, torture survivors, it's a nearly universal experience that people say they begged for death. So. Uh, it's not unconceivable in the battlefield to prefer to die rather than to be captured knowing that official U.S. policy would allow you to be tortured. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the incentive here was uh, to fight to the last bullet, to fight to the last man. And assessments in the military, we understand it, were that that was causing more U.S. deaths. So, number one, we have to say, did torture... Actually, save lives or unbalanced it, it costs more lives mm-hmm. because of the impact on the battlefield. The or second impact we know was that, uh, again, Alberto had the experience of general level officers from England, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, uh, telling him that their countries were reducing their collaboration with the United States because of the abuse of prisoners. And that, that that was an example of an effect that was very widespread within NATO itself. So that the adoption of the policy upset our alliances, weakened our alliances, and a number of countries, such as Canada and the UK, refused to give us prisoners because of our belief that we would abuse them sometimes releasing people that we would have liked to question Mm -hmm. so we actually lost intelligence value uh, because of of the policy so we think it's important that americans understand and we ourselves understand that there were also effects on our ability to fight Mm -hmm. uh, because of the policy but a second very obvious issue was that you could see the decline in approval by populations all across the globe of the United States that were very high and dropped to very low once it was understood that we were employing torture that the 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 policy in Guantanamo uh, made people angry and if their governments who already were were very strongly opposed to torture because of their legal structure and a set of values they had struggled with for 50 years. They also felt the pressure of their populations to reduce and resist American influence um, uh, during during uh, the war on terror and on other things we wanted to accomplish. So the very important Joe Nye concept of soft power mm-hmm. here is a very visible... Um, casualty of the, of the decision. So our first aspect, as I say, of the project is to understand what were the broad implications for U.S. power because of this focus uh, and this obsession uh, by a number of people in their belief that torture was necessary to get information, despite the recommendations of all of our institutions, which actually had professional interrogators, the FBI, the Army, and others, ignoring the experience of our professionals for uh, the fantasy of gaining information. That's... That's really here what's in question.
0: So Uh, is there evidence that the administration that employed these techniques um, actively weighed these negative consequences against the uh, potential benefit of using the policy and, you know, made a decision based on all the information available?
1: Well, that's part two of the study, is to really understand the degree to which these considerations were, uh, were being raised within uh, within the administration and secondly whether or not they were weighed at all by the decision makers uh, and so as part of the course for example that we're doing in conjunction with the project this this uh, this semester on torture and public policy we're having people like the uh, undersecretary of state uh, for political affairs Mark Grossman uh, will be here to talk with us about what it was like to be making those decisions so we know that there were uh, Certain people who were raising the issues, just like all the uniform Jags were raising the issues, we're trying to understand to what degree they actually were paid attention to. But uh, again, uh, what uh, what Alberto learned while he was in the Defense Department was that the Joint Chiefs had initiated a study of the military consequences of the decision, and uh, and the study was. Uh, was ordered to be halt, halted by uh, Secretary Rumsfeld, um, that they didn't want um, that to be considered uh, in in any way that could become public. So then the third element of our study is uh, to really understand the breakdown of policy uh, making, effective policy making, with an eye to asking how we could prevent this happening in the future. Uh, how do we make sure that the debate process is robust, that we're actually turning to expertise within our government rather than to the amateurs uh, uh, to handle uh, policy issues like that, or, or even the operations uh, of this. So it's one of the notable things within the, the Senate report was really uh, how amateurish uh, the CIA was operationally, Mm -hmm. uh, as well as having no experience to even know what was a good and what was a bad interrogation.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, apart from the United States, uh, we often think of torture in the context of either uh, war-torn countries or despotic countries. Other examples in the past of democracies employing this technique and, you know, kind of facing
1: the, uh, uh, the wrath of the global community afterwards? Well, there uh, torture is occurring in every country probably all of the time. Uh, the, the real issue is whether the system responds and holds itself accountable, whether it exerts control over uh, those uh, aspects or parts of its usually security forces, police, who are, uh, who are working outside the law. Mm-hmm. So there are some specific instances where policy was there to use forms of torture. For example, the British uh, used many of the same techniques that uh, were later used uh, by the United States uh, in, the, in the battle against uh, Irish terrorism. But here's an example where the European Human Rights Commission declared that these were forms of torture, and the European Human Rights um, Court declared that they were not torture but they were forms of cruelty which were also prohibited by the same conventions Mm -hmm. Uh, later the european court uh, reversed itself at least um, i don't think it's formally but has indicated that they would now call these forms of torture their there are conditions where, for example, France has been taken to the European Court on Human Rights for uh, issues of torture within a prison system and so forth. So these things occur, but in, in many places, and one would hope that that would be true in the United States, the rule of law is in place and it's being uh, corrected and people are being held accountable uh, mm-hmm. for, what, for what they did.
0: You mentioned before that there have been consequences in the form of uh, certain countries not exchanging prisoners with us, for instance. Are there other tangible things that we've uh, witnessed since these torture uh, uh, allegations, I guess, have have come up, um, where countries have refused to interact
1: with us in some way? Well, that's one of the things we're trying to understand, again, is the degree to which uh, countries... uh, became actively engaged with us uh, because of it. Um, and there's certain evidence, for example, that countries that we otherwise might not have uh, approved us, such as Syria and Libya, became closer to the United States uh, and became sites for extraordinary rendition and uh, and the use of torture whereas other states reacted differently. There was a great deal of pressure on some countries, such as uh, Poland, not only to host a black site, but uh, if you remember uh, during this period, the administration was also uh, fighting the, uh, the development of the International Criminal Court and was trying to make side deals with countries that they would not send Americans to the International Criminal Court. Um, it Looking back on it and realizing that these policies were being developed uh, at the same time and legal justification was being written to protect people from accountability uh, for it. You could see that the eye was on the question of uh, how do we protect uh, our people from accusations and prosecution for war crimes Mm -hmm. um, in this country and, and elsewhere. So... Of course, very recently uh, the exposure of the black sites came came forward in uh, Europe and uh, the European Human Rights Court just fairly recently issued a, uh, an opinion about uh, Poland and I think uh, Romania uh, violating their obligations under the European Convention on Human Rights as well as the, as the UN Convention on Human Rights um, for. Uh, participating in that program, so we're we're going to continue to see what kind of ramifications that will have for one of America's allies and members of NATO by uh, by agreeing to participate in uh, what the rest of Europe sees as highly illegal acts.
0: The Obama administration has put a stop to torture. Put a stop to what they. The Bush administration called these enhanced interrogation techniques, uh, but that seems like an uh, an executive uh, order that can be totally reversed by the next administration that comes through. What kind of guarantees do we have that this kind of thing won't happen in the future?
1: Are there any? Well, currently we have no guarantees because, as you said, it was an executive order. It was an executive order that he issued on his second day in office. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was very, uh, very important. But the administration got locked into a position that uh, to pursue questions of accountability or the truth would be uh, politically too risky. It would divide the country. And, um, and therefore, not only did they not move forward on questions of accountability, they largely stopped working on the issue. And we understand uh, the president believed that uh, he dealt with that issue. Uh, let's go on to other issues now. So uh, in consequence, we're coming into the last couple of years, we find that uh, not only has the debate become Uh, continued uh, to be as vociferous or more so than it was at the beginning of his office but even worse uh, the public has largely um, changed its attitudes from being opposed to the use of torture under all circumstances to now being tactically flexible of seeing freedom from torture not as a right but as a policy that could be determined by uh, whatever government is in power mm-hmm. for those that it deems to be its enemies. Now, uh, Senator Feinstein and her group are working on a piece of legislation that would uh, basically take the executive order and translate it into, uh, uh, into the law of the land. But we see what a struggle we have uh, on making something like that happen because... Torture went from being a very nonpartisan issue in the in the 90s to being a highly partisan issue, um, uh, in uh, after 911, uh, mm-hmm. just an alarmingly uh, different uh, status uh, of this issue in the United States, which was really gaining the reputation as the major force in the world to, to stop torture, Right. Um, to instead moving our foot from the brake to the accelerator, if Mm -hmm. you will.
0: Well, Professor Doug Johnson, thank you so much for being on PolicyCast today.
1: Thank you very much.
0: You've been listening to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast, produced by Matt Cadwallader and Molly Lanzarota. Follow us on Twitter at PolicyCast.